Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. To start the episode off, I want to say that I'm getting over a terrible cold, which is probably the worst thing you can have as a podcast host. So if you hear me sounding extra stuffy in this episode, that's why. So bear with me. I am so excited to introduce today's guest, Avery Francis, to the show. She is a veteran HR thought leader who specializes in implementing diversity, equity, and inclusion practices in the workplace through her incredible company called Bloom. She believes that work should work for everyone, a value that's driven her company to become the go-to authority for brands like Shopify and Spotify. And now as a leader in all things work life, she has been tapped to be the new host of Girlboss Radio, or what she likes to call Girlboss 2.0. You may recall that the Girlboss Career Focus podcast has had over 23 million downloads in previous seasons and featured A-list guests like Gwyneth Paltrow and more, But now Avery is taking the reins for super inspiring conversations that she feels reflect women at work today. In today's episode, I chat with Avery about the experiences that led her to building Bloom and sharing it with the world, what she thinks is missing in the workplace today and how we can all be a part of that change, and what she hopes to usher in with this new Girlboss 2.0 era. I hope you guys love today's episode. If you haven't followed the show yet, find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and make sure you follow us, rate, and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in and have an incredible week ahead, everybody. Here is my friend, Avery Francis. Hello, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You just moved to Iceland. How long have you been there for? So I moved here in October. I have an apartment here, so I'm just kind of like living between Toronto and Iceland at the moment. I want to hear all about this because I think something that, you know, not a lot of good things came out of COVID, but something that I think that was really, really empowering to me was this idea of kind of letting go of anything that you felt was tying you down. I have so many friends that moved to different parts of the world, moved to places that they've only dreamed of living And I love following you on Instagram because I see you just living your best life there and doing things that I can only dream of doing. So as someone who is a founder, you run your own company, Bloom, and you're also the host of Girlboss Radio, doing all these things that so many people would love to do to kind of make that choice for yourself to say, no, I'm going to go and live in this place that I love and still run these two jobs. I think it's Mm -hmm. something that's foreign to people. So I would love to hear about this incredible move. I came to Iceland for the first time back in 2015 with two girlfriends, and I absolutely fell in love with the country. And while I was here, I also did fall in love. I was here with them, and I was at a bar. We were at a music festival, and I was I was dancing on a picnic table with my two girlfriends, and I'd just gone through a really, really tough breakup. And 
that was forced by a tough, and I'm just going to be very candid. I had entopic pregnancy. I had to get a like medically induced abortion. And then two weeks later, I was in Iceland, freshly out of a breakup and like heartbroken, pretty like, like frazzled and just trying to find myself. And, and I can say like the last, like that was the most, that time, that evening, I was so aligned with myself. I just felt like the best version of myself I had ever felt. I just was absolutely present in that moment. And I, it's interesting that I attracted someone my way when I literally could not care less to meet someone at that time. And he and I engaged in like a long distance relationship. We dated for some time. And as such, I spent a lot of time in Iceland and just fell even deeper and deeper in love with this country. And then five years went by, of course, our relationship kind of ended over time. I hadn't been here for some for a while. And all throughout the pandemic, I was just dreaming of coming back. And I just knew I felt called to come back to Iceland. So I initially went to Amsterdam and was kind of scoping out places there because I was like, maybe I'm going to like just work from there for the fall. And then I had the idea to take my team on a trip just as an appreciation thing to Iceland. And when we came here, I just felt again that that alignment. I felt that that freedom, that sense of like just connection with a place that I hadn't felt in so long. So I was like, you know, as much as I love Amsterdam, forget the Amsterdam plan. I'm moving to Iceland. I'm doing this in the fall. It's happening. Come hell or high water, I'm going to make it happen. And yeah, that's, I think that I structured it bloom, like my business, I run an HR and it's a workplace design consultancy. And I structured it in a way where we're not just myself, but everyone at bloom can work wherever they want in the world. I care deeply about allowing and encouraging and empowering people to work or to work where they can do their best work. So with that, I really want to lead that and, 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 and live by that example. So yeah, that's what led me to Iceland. So I've just been here since October and it's been easy to navigate like the time difference and still work and focus on Bloom and as well as Girl Boss. In your experience, what has been kind of the key takeaway from that? I mean, if there are people listening right now that, you know, have their dream dream job or going after their dream job but want to live somewhere else, like what has been kind of the key to navigating that situation to being able to do both, live your best life and also keep the dream job? Um, so I think I'm in a unique position and I, and I do have like a lot of privilege coming from a place where I, I own the company that I work at. So I have a lot more flexibility and choice and I'd say autonomy over like where I work and how I work. But I will say that if you are in a position where you are, you're really, really wanting to relocate and continue to work from this new location, maybe you want to be a digital nomad, or maybe you just want to work momentarily for a month from somewhere just to kind of explore a new place. I do think that you learn so much about yourself being detached from your rituals and your habits and your people and your community. Like it just does really push you out of your comfort zone. And I think that for me, it inspires a whole new level of creativity that I can't really tap into when I'm at home in the thick of like my daily life. It no longer feels like I'm in vacation on vacation in Iceland, but I will say that if you are working with an organization that's not supportive of you being wherever you want in the world and working and you want to do this and you have the flexibility to work from wherever, but your company doesn't allow you to do it. I think that's a really great time for you to reflect on whether you should continue working there or not. I really do believe that women should feel liberated at work in any way, shape or form that they can. And if that for you means working remotely from a place that you've never been to before or lived at before, then exploring a new opportunity with another company where that's supported, where you're empowered to do that. I think that that's what I would recommend that people do. But generally speaking, like 
once you get here, it's very easy. You just kind of work around those hours and you structure your day in a way that best suits you. And it will be like an ongoing kind of evolution once you're there, like how you actually structure that life, how you make new friends, what things you do during the day, all that kind of stuff. We'll be right back after a quick break. I want to talk about routines a little bit because something I often get asked is how do you get it all done? People are always asking for my tips on organizational tools, how I set goals and meetings with myself, to how I get it all done in a day. And something that I love to use that makes my day 10 times easier and way more efficient is Saqqara. If you haven't tried Saqqara yet, they deliver science-backed, plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to deliver results from weight management and ease bloat to boost energy and clearer skin. What I love about it the most, it arrives straight to my door. There's hardly any prep, and I know that every day when I wake up, all three of my meals are covered. I waste zero time thinking about what to order, when I'm going to eat it. I just know that my meals are ready to go in my fridge and that I'm eating something that's healthy and good for me. I can't tell you how many times I've come down to crunch time and I've had to order something that I know is really not good for me and makes me crash after I eat it. By using Saqqara, I know that I'm working at my optimal self and doing my best work. And right now, Saqqara is offering you guys 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com backslash friend or enter the code friend at checkout. It's an incredible deal. You'll get 20% off your first order. That's Saqqara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash friend to get 20% off your first order. The meals are so delicious. I know you guys are going to love them. Saqqara.com backslash friend. Now let's get back to the show. I really love what you do. I know that sounds really like that sounds like the most basic sentence of all time, but I really do. I, I so appreciate the company and the culture and the community that you've built with Bloom and the encouragement to build a better workplace. And I love that you say this often to make work work for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 28 years old. So many people that listen to the show are people that are either, you know, fresh out of college, maybe in college looking for their first jobs and really beginning to build that pipeline into the workforce or maybe even, you know, freelance content creation, whatever it is. But I really do love what you share with your community and beyond about making those choices work for you and just creating safer environments. So I'm excited to kind of get into it a little bit and hear Mm -hmm. about your experience in building that, but also get some takeaways from you about how we as, you know, young people can really start to build better workplaces. So I'd love to start at the beginning and hear what experience led you to build Bloom? Yeah. So I had worked in tech for some time and had spent probably around eight years in the tech space. And I grew from working as the recruiter through to like the head of talent in HR for two really, really high growth tech startups. And it wasn't until I experienced an assault at work that I started to question my place within traditional kind of corporate workspaces. And then I went on to actually work at another organization because I couldn't, even though the the experience was handled really well, like at the time I was the HR person. So I simply went to the CEO. Obviously it wasn't simple, but I had the hard conversation to let him know what had happened. And he made the decision at the time to just terminate this individual's employment. So he worked outside of like what employment law calls for in Canada. Like you're really expected to and should run a formal investigation. Unfortunately, we're still in a time where, you know, people that are survivors of sexual abuse and assault and harassment are not believed. And this is where the hashtag believe all women, that's where that came from. But with that said, I think that this is where we kind of 
I, I, I really start to question like my, my place in these settings. And even though it was handled well, I actually stayed at the company for a few months afterwards. I ended up having like a bit of a breakdown during my time there. And I think I was so hyper-focused on moving forward that I didn't actually focus my time or energy towards healing. So it all kind of bubbled up at one point. I had to take a leave of absence. And it was during that time that I thought more about like, okay, should I stay here? Like, this is a really triggering environment for me. It's hard to walk by the space that I experience at Assault on a daily basis at work. I was having hyper, like I was hyperventilating at times. I would have panic attacks on my way to work. I would cry in my car for hours. And then I would have to like drag myself into my office. So I was like, I need to find a new area. So I actually moved to another company. And when I moved to that new company, I experienced like, bullying, like just blatant bullying from different people in that environment. I don't think it was intended. I don't think that they're even aware of like how nuanced their behavior was, but it just wasn't for me. And I was actually terminated from that company. And I, at that point, started deeply questioning, like, I just don't want to deal with this stuff again. So I moved into consulting and over the last like four to five years, I've been building up my consulting practice. And what initially was just an opportunity for me to get away and just work as an individual contributor, kind of be like a hired gun, so to speak, go in, do the work and leave, evolved into me building Bloom. It turns out that there's other people that have been on the receiving end of really disenfranchising experiences at work. And they have found I, I hope they found a good, comfortable and safe space at Bloom. So that's what encouraged and inspired me to, to build differently. And now we work with organizations to help them to explore unique ways in, way, in, in where they can actually build better and more safe workplaces for their people. I just want to start out by saying that I'm so sorry that you experienced those things, but also deeply inspired by the fact that you were able to take those really challenging moments in your life and turn them into something that is game-changing for so many other people, to be able to turn that into something that is quite literally changing the infrastructure for so many other brands is such a feat. So I just want to highlight that really quickly. But today, you now have this company that goes into some of the most incredible companies and helps to create better work structures. I'm so curious to hear in your experience looking at companies, what is the one thing today that you think is missing that you just see prevalent in so many other companies? I think organizations aren't aware of how essential it is that people have the tools to navigate interpersonal relationships at work. And at the end of the day, people are the most important part of any business. They're essential. You need people to build any business. And I think that that's like pretty clear based on some of the growth and some of the conversations we're having about the workplace today. And when we think about the education that people receive prior to entering the workforce, it is very whitewashed or it doesn't exist. So a lot of people, as I've realized online, are just learning about Indigenous experiences. They're just learning about the experiences of women or racialized women or Black folks. They're just learning how to like be more sensitive around people that identify differently than they do. And I think that a lot of organizations, what they do not know and acknowledge is that they are taking on an educational debt that unfortunately just hasn't been covered in today's educational system. So as such, we've always had these issues with harassment within workplace, bullying, microaggressions, nuanced interpersonal type of conflict around like social, political, economic views. And companies are like, how is this happening? How are people getting along? Why is it that they don't know, like, you know, that you can't make racist jokes at work? How is that not obvious for people? It's like, well, people have very different life experiences. They're raised by different people with different views and, and, and belief systems. So, of course, you're going to be 
taking in and 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 this really like kind of um I guess inheriting this stuff. And, and these behaviors are what really defines whether you have a great company culture or a not so great company culture or a downright disenfranchising one. So I think that that's like the one thing that some companies are missing. And, and I think that this is this is a very nuanced conversation because where some companies could be doing really well externally on having diverse representation when it comes to brand ambassadors or models or product offerings, et cetera, et cetera, they might be not be doing the real work that they need to do in terms of educating people on how to behave and support one another and, and really have like inclusive methods of working with their colleagues. If you're talking to someone who works within a company right now that feels that, you know, their DEI initiatives or even just creating a safer workplace, if those things are missing, What's your piece of advice for kind of bringing that to the table in a way that feels conductive? I fundamentally believe that this needs to come top down. So if you are new in your career, maybe you're junior or intermediate level, and you don't hold a lot of decision-making power or privilege within the organization, it's not to say that you cannot provoke change. You absolutely can. But the question is, should you? <laughs> right? If you're not getting paid or compensated to do this, should you be leading this work? And as someone that did this work for free for some time, and now I've built a multi-million dollar business not doing it for free, I, I feel really strongly that specifically, because this always falls on the shoulders of people from historically marginalized communities and specifically women at work. Should I be encouraging people at work, specifically women, to do this without getting compensated? Absolutely not. And do I think that it's actually a good use of their time? And do I think that it will actually like lead to them being promoted within their role at work? Very rarely, right? This is something that yeah. we would deem as, unfortunately, as a non-promotable task. And this is the type of work that weighs down women and burns them out within the workplace. So I think that if this is something that you want to to see change within your organization, I think that asking questions to a leader or people that hold power or privilege, or even if you have like an HR person around like what initiatives are being done, what things are kind of working towards, if they have any specific organizations that they're partnering with, or if they've even done DEI training or if they're looking to do it, I think that that's a great place to start. But I think that if folks are listening and they are in a, in a decision-making role or they hold a significant amount of power privilege, maybe they're a founder, a CEO, a leader, this is really on you. You know, this is your opportunity to change the face of the workplace environment that you are crafting and to build a better workplace experience for people that you're bringing into your team. And I think that it's your responsibility to, to, to kind of push this work forward. And I think that that can be done by investing in educational experiences. This is not something that people internally within your organization, unless they have the experience, should be spearheading. And, and also, Asking people that are from historically marginalized communities to share about their most vulnerable experiences with being on the receiving end of any sort of oppressive behavior to teach other people at work about this, that's not that's not the move. In fact, it oftentimes creates more trauma and causes more harm than good, whereas long-term educational investment is actually where you actually see change behavior and evolution and iteration in the way that you're kind of structuring the way that you work. So that would be my recommendation. It's like you can ask questions and perhaps uh, encourage leaders to start to invest in this and to think about this, but I totally understand as someone that's maybe uh, earlier on in their career that doesn't have as much power and privilege within the workplace, I know how this could signal to people in senior roles that maybe, I just know how bias go, goes along with this and how sometimes this will fall on your shoulders in a way that doesn't necessarily serve you. So it, it really isn't your job and companies should be taking this on. And in some cases they're legally required to do so dependent on the team size and everything. 
I would love to hear just hearing you talk about this. Is there a highlight project that you could share with us of, of a moment that you feel was really successful? Yes. Yes. So one of my favorite brands, it's a Canadian brand out of Toronto. They're called NYX. Anyone who I love, I love NYX. NYX. Okay. Love yeah. NYX. I'm, I'm really close with the founder. She's one of my best friends. Her name's uh, Joanna. She also led the biggest exit by a woman in Canadian history recently when she sold a portion of her company for 380 million. So if you're not aware of Joanna or Nick's, like this is amazing company. In the height of 2020, she had reached out for support in guiding her entire team along a diversity, equity, and inclusion learning experience. So this was actually before the murder of George Floyd. She had reached out and it was in response to an article that I wrote about being gaslit. And she had actually had a shared experience and we talked about it and I started learning a little bit more about her goals and and some of the expected outcomes that she was hoping for for her team. And then she also had learned a little bit more about our work at Bloom. So we went in and we went through this really thorough DEI learning experience. And a really great outcome that came from that was there was a junior level person that worked in marketing in one of our sessions that had questioned essentially their mission statement. So at the time, it was to empower women to live unapologetically free, which is like a really powerful statement and totally aligned with a part of the group and and, and the demographic that they're looking to support and that they sell products to. But the question that this person raised was, well, we don't just sell our products to women. They're non-binary folks, trans folks, men that, that, that love our products and use our products. And it's it's not just women that menstruate, that use our period and menstruation underwear, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a very interesting question and, and thought. And it was with that, that in session, Joanna and team had made the decision to shift their mission statement to empower from empowering women to live unapologetically free to empowering people to live unapologetically free. So this was like a beautiful iteration and evolution. And I mean, we were working with them in 2020. And if you look at the marketing and the community that they've continued to build since then, it is so diverse. There's so much diverse representation specifically as it relates, relates to gender identity. And I think that for that was like a pretty big win on Bloom's end and, and something really powerful. And I think that it just goes to show that with education, there's a lot of there's a lot that an organization can do and, and a lot that they can that they can change when people know and have the language and, and actually can maybe drive this work on their own. Without the education, though, that I don't think that would have happened that moment. Or maybe it would have happened down the line, or maybe they would have changed. <laughs> maybe they would have worked with a with an agency like ours and paid like, you know, $30,000 plus dollars <laughs> to, to come to that conclusion, right? But they actually had someone in their organization that called it out and they made that iteration in real time. And that was super powerful to witness. When a brand is tasked with the idea of change, I think that they really cower at that. I think that changing from the inside out as an organization is really scary to some brands. And there's so much friction in that. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered why. I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Like to have that support, to have that education, the choice just seems obvious and it seems yeah. easy and it seems welcome. And I think it's when organizations don't make that, build that support and bring in people that maybe aren't good at what they're good at and bring in other opinions is when you're really set up for success. So I love that story. That's a great one. Yeah. And I think it just goes to show that I think that there's a lot that people can ask questions about, you know, reflecting back on your initial question, like what it is, what is it that people can do? I think that maybe I would add to it that you can definitely ask questions, but perhaps you could make suggestions, right? And I think that if you have been doing this work individually, and maybe your company hasn't necessarily invested in you doing this work and, and you're coming from a place where you're 
you know, well-educated and feel really confident about some iterations that the company could make, make those suggestions, right? If you acknowledge that your company's parental leave policy, maybe they still title as a, like a maternity leave policy. That's not inclusive of like all parents. Perhaps you can make that suggestion. If you don't have a work schedule, like that's something that really benefits all sorts of people, people that have disabilities, whether it be people that are neurodiverse or cognitive disabilities, or maybe they have physical limitations or perhaps even folks that are working parents, like flexible work hours makes a massive difference. There's some iterations you can make there. For example, like at Bloom, we write, or I have this, we all have it in our email signature sign-offs. We have our core work hours. We acknowledge that we do not work outside of those hours. And we also say that we work a four-day work week. So they don't, don't expect to hear from us on a Friday type of thing. And that's like in our in our like work email signature. And I think that that signals to our clients and partners and people that work outside of the organization, how we work so they can respect it also. And then also, I think that it helps the team to feel more empowered to say no or to not respond if they get a message from a client at 6.30 on a Friday, right? Because we've made the decision collectively that it can wait. I love everything you just said, because I think it's so important. And I think people really overlook it out of fear of not participating in like the quote unquote busy culture and like the crazy work culture that we're in today to set those boundaries and say like, hey, here's when I'm available. Here's when I'm not like these are all really easy ways to create boundaries for yourself for a healthy work life. Yeah. We've been doing the four-day work week since 2020. So we're yeah. three years in. I think that we were definitely ahead of the curve with implementing it. And it has resulted in like year over year, we've been more profitable, more revenue. Wow. And we're spending, technically speaking, less time working and we're producing the same, like we're more, we're making more, Crazy. we're earning more. So we're more successful. And I think that people are coming in with less burnout. I think that people are less stressed about taking holidays or finding time to take time away. Like it is, it just holds so much space for me to do some of my life stuff on Fridays. And in some cases, and it, like it's actually supported me in pursuing another streamline of like income. Right. And there's other folks. We have someone that is a um, dominatrix in her free time. She works at Bloom. She's one of our senior, she's our lead of DEI advisory. The four day work week, as well as this more like I'd say flexible work schedule, supports her in having another streamlined income. And I, and I don't oh, care yeah. what anyone says, like, unless you own a company or have multiple streamlines of income, you will never really truly build wealth. And in order to sustain that, sometimes you you can't be working a five-day work week traditionally. So for me, I can work girl boss, no problem, and, and have flexibility throughout the week to do all my work and not feel overwhelmed. And this also means that people on the team can also pursue other type of work or even personal projects outside of Bloom as well, which is super important. Let's dive into girl boss a little bit because yeah. again, you are like the queen of of making work work for you. And so I think you are truly the perfect fit to host this new season of Girl Boss. How has the experience been like for you? What was it like being top to lead this incredible show? It was it was nerve-wracking at first. So I was a very big, I was not a fan of Girl Boss 1.0. I, I actually created, yeah. not a lot of people know this, I created swag around my disdain for girl boss. I created swag and I actually tried to get it trademarked at one point, but I did girl boss with the girl crossed out. And I wrote multiple articles. I had like a couple of Instagram posts that went viral that was centered around why the word girl boss doesn't actually lend itself to supporting 
empowering women at work. And I mean, this comes from the idea that, you know, number one, working women are not girls, they are women. And I think it's like kind of predatory to refer to grown women or people that are above the age of 15 as girls. And then also it, it, it comes from using girl as a defining adjective, so to speak, before boss. Like a boss is a boss. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a girl or a man. And it's very rare that we refer to men as boy bosses or right, <laughs> right? or man boss. Like yes. it's just because it's the assumption is, is that a boss is a man. So anyway, I've been closely watching Girl Boss. And I actually I hit a fall, I hit the follow probably about two years ago because I saw the iteration evolution in their content. They were talking about periods at work, they were talking about work-life balance. And I was like, this is this is awesome. Like the shift is so aligned. And when they re- when they reached out, I thought they were reaching out for me to be actually on the podcast. And I was like, sent it to my agent. It's like amazing. Like I'm going to be on the Girl Boss podcast. Wonder what I'm going to talk about. She was like, babes, I just read this. They want you to host it. And I was like, oh, amazing. Cool. Well, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I've never hosted a podcast before. So I ended up giving it a shot and I had to like record a couple of fake podcast episodes with some friends. And it was through that, that the they they ended up selecting me to host this season and they were really clear about their vision they're like we want to like let people know that we're a new version of girl boss we are not girl boss version 1 where we are just kind of focusing on a certain type of woman being successful at work we want to appeal to all women femme folks and non-binary folks. And how can we do that? And I, of course, have a lot of thoughts because it's deeply connected to the work I do at Bloom. But then I also can pull on my own personal experience and navigating the workplace as a, as a Black woman. I've had a really great experience just meeting new people, having great conversations. And there's even been guests that I've spoken to that I was not excited to speak to beforehand that I've had like 360 experiences with where I'm like, holy smokes, I made so many judgments about you. And I had so many assumptions about you that were basically just rooted in a few things I've seen on the internet. And I've learned a lot more about myself as well and and how I need to take a pause and think a little bit clearly about before I actually come to deeply held opinions and assumptions about people. (laughs) That is truly my favorite thing about podcasting is it's Mm -hmm this siloed moment between you and another person where you really do get to know that person in a really different way. Not a lot of people agree to get on a microphone for 45 minutes unfiltered and leave the editing to you. It's Mm -hmm. a pretty rare level of trust. And I just think that when you're in that moment, you really get to meet someone for who they are. And I completely agree with you that it's a really, really beautiful opportunity to put all of your judgments away, what you think that person might be based on the research that you do, because you and I as hosts, you know, we can get really bogged down by the research. I like you spend hours on it and like really like to get in the weeds of a person's life. And I think it's really easy to put together an idea of who you think that person is. And it's just this like really wonderful life moment to let all that completely wash away and get to know people for who they are. I'm so excited for this season. I love the conversation that we had. And I know that so many of the other ones are going to be so deeply impactful for so many people listening. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. I'm just very, very excited to see it all come to life. Yeah, thank you. I know there's like this phenomenon that we call ladder pulling in the DEI space. And it's essentially when women get to spaces, specifically women get into spaces or people from historically marginalized communities get to a place where there's very few of them represented. And oftentimes we feel that because there's so little representation that there's no room for anyone else. We see this in like the body positivity movement. Like I remember there's a creator, she has a collab with Revolve. Oh, Remy Bader. 
Remy Bader, she was talking about this and she actually doesn't have the, she didn't specifically speak to ladder pulling, but she was like, I don't know why like people in the plus size community don't embrace me. Like fat women don't want to embrace me because I'm not big enough. And obviously I'm not thin enough to be a part of like the, the, the straight size community. So like, where am I? She's like, I'm in this mid-sized community. And I just felt like she was saying, I feel like I'm having such a hard time finding where I am in this space. And she was speaking a lot about the discourses she's been on the receiving end of from different communities. And that's essentially like what we call ladder pulling. It's like when people get to a certain place, they pull up the ladder behind them. And they're like, sorry, there's no more room for you here. Like I'm here, I'm good. And I'm not opening, I'm not keeping this door open. Cause if there's too many of us, I'm going to be out. And this yeah. comes from this like scarcity mindset where there's only so much opportunity where it's really the opportunity is endless and abundant always. And I think that this is a mindset that I think girl boss 1.0 really signaled to people. And this is what we got with Sophia Amorosa, like no shade to her at all, but this is what we got with her version of girl boss. And I think that girl boss 2.0 really is about, we're not gatekeeping. We're sharing all of our career yeah. secrets. We're sharing our salaries. We're sharing how much we made in our last job. We're talking about what we're currently earning. Like we are talking about how we got our raise, how we, and we're seeing this like transpire on TikTok. And I love it for future generations because this is how we really dismantle existing inequities at work and beyond. And I think that what we'll find is women will be even more empowered, not, not just today, but 10, 15 years from now as it relates to their careers. And I think that more women will be doing what I'm doing really building work that works for them because it will be in a position where they can do so. So yeah, I'm really excited about the future of work, as you can tell. <laughs> and, and thinking about like one thing I want to like leave with people before we wrap up is that you do have a lot more power than you think you do to craft a work experience that does work for you. I, I just do believe that, you know, fortune really does favor the bold. Sometimes you have to think outside of what you're currently doing and get creative with how that works. And, and you might have to take a few risks along the way, which is what I've done. And those risks have served me. It doesn't make it easier. It does, it's been hard, but it definitely has been something that has benefited me. But if I think about the workplace today, if I was working today and I had not experienced some of the things I experienced prior to starting my own company and I could have worked remotely from anywhere in the world, I probably never would have became an entrepreneur. So it's not to say that you can't, that you shouldn't do it, but perhaps do both, right? Have your own side yes. hustle, right? Like, why not? So I, I really want to hear if, if, if people are listening right now and you have dreams of kind of crafting work that works for you, write it down and let me know. <laughs> like, think about your dream work experience and, and what it would look like, who you'd be working with what you'd be doing, where you'd be, and write that down and hopefully manifest that into real, into fruition, into, into your reality. Avery, this was awesome. Thank you so much <laughs> for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.